0: to another episode of the pedestrian podcast what will be the final podcast of the 2021 20, 2020 seattle seahawks season after whatever happened whatever how that was last night Join myself as ever stuart court is mr Ad, adam nathan how are we sir
1: i wasn't even sure if you were going to ask me how i was there because you know the answer it's <laughs> fucking shit
0: one thing, there is a certain beer label, which I was drinking before you
1: joined the stream, and what? I
0: opened another one before you just some on.
1: Well, I mean, what chance have we got if you're going to be, you know, messing with you know, the other spirits like that, Stu? It's not going to work. <laughs> you uh, cannot drink Camden Hells. It's Arsenal beer. I've told you this before.
0: Yeah, I, I, to be fair, it was a Christmas present. It wasn't something I went out and purchased.
1: You'd rather get a lump of coal for Christmas than... <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, to be fair, yeah, there's a lot of explanation I could make, but maybe I'll be better than talking what we're going to have to talk about because the Seahawks lost last night ended their 2020 season at home in the playoffs for the first time. Under Pete Carroll, they lost 30-20 to, to John Walford and nine-fingered Jared Goff. It, I mean... Don't really want to spend much time talking about it because I think it's more the post-mortem that people will listen to, or more listen for. Um, but yeah, it was everything of the last seven weeks in the worst. I mean, uh, like the game was three and a half hours long and it felt like nine.
1: That third quarter, I think, was, well, it lasted an hour for one. And I think it was the worst quarter of football I've ever watched. It, I think there was six punts,
0: yeah.
1: Uh, a turnover on downs and a field goal. Yep. And I don't think there was a play that you even, would even resonate as vaguely memorable. In it. I mean, that that is true of the whole Seahawk game, to be honest, unfortunately, <laughs> but that quarter was just the embodiment of a terrible couple of months of Seahawk football, unfortunately, wasn't it?
0: It was. Yeah. Um, yeah, it just I can't believe the game's only three and a half hours long, as I said. Um, but it's just, when the opposing quarterback comes into Seattle and completes, well, two, they both com- complete 12 for 25, and sub 50%, you're like, okay, cool. The Seals <laughs> wouldn't that then, surely, right? And then that happened. Um... So, like, there's obviously a lot of blame flying around on um, Seahawks Twitter and Facebook group and everything else. People, are, I mean, everyone's had their opinion, it's slightly varied from wild to quite sensible to somewhere in between. So, what's what? What is your main takeaway from last night?
1: My main takeaway from last night is that that was a bad coaching beatdown as I've ever seen this coaching staff take. Um, If you think about the storylines in Seahawk world going into this game, I would say a lot of it focused on who's playing quarterback for the Rams. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, What are we going to do about Aaron Donald, you know, and, and things like that. Well, their first choice quarterback was in an ambulance. Their second choice quarterback had three pins in his thumb. And the defensive player that we were all terrified about, barely played in the second half and Sean McVeigh and Brandon Staley just thought, well, well, we'll just coach around this. And because the scheme and the systems in place they've got are so well entrenched in there that, you know, it, it's almost like a, like a great soccer football manager that when the system's right, you just plug people in and play. Um, you know, Leonard, F- Leonard Floyd had a game that Aaron Donald would, would be proud of. They they just coached around all the problems And I think it says says a lot about where the Seahawks are right now, that we focus so much on individual player and personnel um, because the scheme isn't there right now on either side of the ball. I mean, defensively is better. Uh, It's much better than it was first half of the season. But I just don't think there's anything there that, you know, the, the, the roots of what we used to do, I feel have been pulled out and placed somewhere else. And, I think we're, we're, we play on very flimsy foundations, and as a result, one of these bad losses was always gonna come at some point, and it's happened when you least wanted it to happen.
0: Yeah, I think the, the opus on what happened last night has come from um, Jackson Bevins over on field goals, who's, mm-hmm. who's always brilliant with his cigar thoughts, but he just dissembled everything, everything of on the evening of the, those, of the game time, and obviously, over the next six, seven, eight, nine months, obviously the next three, four, five years as well. But it's it's just the fact that how unprepared they were. Like, talking Aaron Donald, Aaron Donald missed, what, 40 snaps, probably, 30, mm. 35, 40 snaps. And it was almost like they spent the entire week, right, just game planning for him, which one, didn't work anyway, but two, when he went out, and was like, we don't, we don't have to worry about blocking and pass pro, because I think they got more sacks when Donald was out of the game. Than when he was in, which is, I mean, Leonard Floyd is just having our had our number this year uh, for the Rams, but it's just, it was just so, there's like a weird like arrogance to it almost, isn't there?
1: Yeah, and I think Pete embodied that in his end of game press conference when he said that he had no place in his mind or something for that sort of outcome. <clears throat> it's, and it's, it's almost it's, like to be
0: fair, it's the third or fourth. He said that before this season,
1: more than Mm once. But there is this view that the Seahawks obviously just think, and and Pete especially, just Mm -hmm. think they're going to win every game. And in a way, I think that's indicative of how secure in his mind he is with his philosophy and the way in which he's got the team playing. And for me, that's the ultimate problem with the team right now. And so we're at this tipping point where the head coach... Look, maybe it's all protect the team bollocks and like you know not throwing her under the bus I'll kind of make it seem like I'm an idiot but deep down I know I know there's further issues I, I hope that is the case because if the case is that he thinks this is the way to win and that we'll just win you know we're just unlucky this week or whatever then we're knackered going forward so hopefully it's just him covering up issues that he knows about in order to protect the team as as the the saying goes
0: yeah, I, I think that definitely is a massive part of it. Part of it, I think that's one reason why Bristol Wilson's press conferences are so dull. Even when you wait two and a half. And Tyler Lockett. Like the Tyler Lockett one was slightly dull, but it's just a whole outlook more of like the next few months, which is really I find it interesting. I don't know why, um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> but it was four o'clock in the morning, I guess. Um, yeah, just like it's just like it, it's. It's fun, but it's like the recency stuff of it. Like, the defence is clearly turned around. The defence was not the reason this team lost mm-hmm. last like, night. Like, no. Like, yeah, they give up a couple of mean. I think they, there was two 44-yard pass completions by Goff. Or, no, one to Cobb, and then there's a long run for Akers as well in there. But apart from that, they could, again, could not really have done any more yes against limited quarterbacks in different ways. But, like, the offense is the issue and I think it, it, everything is kind of embodied by Pete Carroll talking about the fourth one which Damian Lewis was injured so it was like a two and a half three minute delay commercial break everything and then they let down of the hood all, and they end up full dying, which didn't matter anyway because it was going to be delayed game and he said that he got he he got involved in that process which like why like why are you why, really? Why why has it took three minutes to, even if, even it's just, yeah, I think that embodied everything that went wrong on the offensive side last night, because Pete Carroll is just, is micromanaging to the detriment at, at certain points, and p- possibly, like, the the peak of all that was last night, Adam.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, there's a lot to say here and we don't write a show schedule. So a lot of this will probably be stream of consciousness bouncing around. But I think on that point, if there's one thing that that has come from this, it's that the way in which Pete wants to play to go forward, if he's going to remain the head coach, which we'll discuss whether he should, we know he will because of the contract. Um, You've been reading about Nick Saban this week in his book. He has got to start delegating certain things to other people who are experts in his field. Um, Sean McVeigh, for example, is an offensive mastermind and has always accepted that that's what he's good at, and has always yeah. therefore delegated his defence to the yeah. best man available. But, but right now we've got an offensive, uh, we've got a defensive coordinator who we all accept is just kind of playing the defence. Pete Carroll wants to, and Schottenheim, a fair play to him. I don't, you know, I don't think that much of this is on him because we knew what he was coming into the job. And it's basically just Pete Carroll's man on offense. And that needs to change. Uh, and it's the same with the timing issue and the burning of timeouts and the challenges, which we've got another hormonal one this week. I mean, there's kids playing Madden that can manage the clock better than Pete Carroll does right now. <laughs> and that's just not acceptable.
0: No, it's not. One, one thing on that McVeigh thing, he's hired two defensive coordinators for the Rams. One was his first gig as a, the, the man, the head coach. He he's still only like 18 when he got the job. But he hired Wade Phillips, who's got, what, 30, 35 years experience. He's, that's what exactly what Bill O'Brien did in Houston when he came from Penn State. He hired Romeo Crennel, who's called defensive, called defensive play. He'd worked with defensive players all the time. His second one was someone he'd looked into, researched and got uh, Staley was a Broncos linebacker coach last year. Name mm. a Broncos linebacker, like like I know Chubb and Miller are, but name an actual um, actual proper three down middle linebacker for the Broncos I've had in the last ten years. But like he, he's so far, he just sort of like, look, I trust you to do this. Yes, they've probably got this to to the what top five defensive players in the league on that, but like the Seahawks did, and it worked, and the Rams have, and it's working. But it's the fact that when Pete Carroll's hired now, hired three different OCs, obviously come with Jeremy Bates, who's only here a year, and he just insisted on paying and getting Charlie Whitehurst. He had Daryl Bevel, who was um, jettisoned out, despite having, yes, he had Marshall Lynch, but like, apart from Doug Baldwin, there wasn't much else on that offense, really, was there? I mean, Jermaine Kearse is, is really just, like, he was successful, he caught passes in big moments, but, like, DK Metcalf has passed Jermaine curse in two years, hmm. Do you know what I mean? So, and then, after that, Daryl Bevel gets run out of town, he hires, like, w- w- when, when Daryl Bevel was hired, uh, fired three years ago, the whole world was, right, this is it, Russell Wilson is in year six, seven, we're gonna get a guy who can Put Russell Wilson in the same, the right position to take that next step, which wasn't that much of a step for Wilson to take anyway. And he hires a guy, which is, if anything, then was two steps back from Bevel. I mean, Bevel had his faults, but like, he just. When was the last time we saw like anything that Bevel called? You watch all like the fun trick plays and see what's called. They're pretty much all with Daryl Bevel calling the plays. But Boris they came from Georgia, where we had Sonny Michelle and Nick Chubb, and they they didn't do anything. Like he was there for one year.
1: A fake toss rollout is about as exciting as it's got under Schottenheimer. Um, and actually, it's not even the plays that I have the biggest issue with, which is an issue. It's If you've watched any of the other playoff games this weekend, which I'm sure everyone has, it's the pacing and the rhythm at which other teams play And every play that we have seems to be like a a drama in its own right. Whereas, you know, I'm watching the Saints now and they just put together five or six plays in rhythm with a pace and a structure. Whereas for us, everything seems like it's start the play, run the play, stop the play, start again. There doesn't seem to be any kind of three or four play in advance thinking. And um, look, it's, um, you know, everyone in the national media talks about how the Seahawks offence isn't great and is ruining Russell Wilson or not maximising his potential. Now maybe they're wrong which they could be. You know we watch the team probably as much as they do. Maybe they're wrong. But what I would say is when everyone in a group who's more objective than we are because they are not watching with emotion is saying that sort of thing, maybe they've got a point.
0: I'd agree. Um, But but I think but also on that Russell Wilson has never had like, this is as good as this offence is going to get. Like, for target-wise. Because you've got Tyler Lockett, he's a 1000 year receiver. DK Metcalf is just ascending at a wild rate. Chris Carson is up maybe at the peak of his powers. And then you've got people like David Moore. And the tight end room is not going to have the investment it had this year ever again, for a multitude of reasons. And it's just been boring and then whatever the <laughs> fuck that was last night for the last six seven weeks And it, it, it's so clear that that buffalo game but it, it started but it was the second half of the arizona game that first mm. half of the arizona game if you sit in that halftime arizona oh by the way russell wilson will throw seven more touchdowns in the next two and a half months you think okay cool so bad has happened there and it turned out it did um uh on well, Russell Wilson, you've said it for a few weeks, I think I said it a couple of weeks ago, but you said it more consistently than me that that cheery broken look he has, like a broken toy, you said last week that um he needs he looks like he needs the off season. I mean, unfortunately, you were proven <laughs> more accurate than you have through and you're the spot watching you deliver, I guess.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, whether I was right or wrong, unfortunately he's got the offseason now to work on it. I just thought that he everything was so free in the first five or six games of the season. And in the last seven or eight, it just looks like he's playing with the weight of the world on his shoulders. Like he's not running, he's not taking off in kind of run pass option plays. Um He's not taking the same deep shots he is. And, you know, everyone knows that, you know, this, this too high safety that teams are playing against us is is in part neutering the offense, which it shouldn't do. But it, it seems to me, and I, you know, this is purely hypothetical, but it seems to me that after the Arizona second half in Glendale and after the Buffalo game, it's almost like Pete Carroll walked into his coaches' meeting on a Monday morning and said, I told you, it doesn't work. You can't do it. And it feels like when a quarterback is playing with the knowledge, like like he's almost playing like, Well, we're watching the Bears game now, he's almost playing like Nick Foles was playing or Trubisky's playing, knowing there's another guy backing you up. But it's not another guy that's your backup. It's like there's another whole system in place as a backup if you fail with this one. It strikes me as Carol was saying like, you can do all the nonsense you want to do on offense with your silly little throwing and you're running around and you're passing and, and these touchdown things that you insist on scoring. <laughs> but there was always a thing in the back of his mind that whenever Pete felt like it wasn't working exactly how it should, he'd just pull it. And I think Jackson Bevan said that in his piece that like, it's okay if Wilson throws four picks in a game because the likelihood is is he'll throw four touchdowns in seven or eight others. And... I'm okay with that, but Mm -hmm. Pete's not. And so we're at this position where he's throwing like one pick and two touchdowns every game and with the surrounding talent, that's not enough.
0: No, it's not, but also like, did you just, you just see with Pete on that is that the things he brings up, like he brought up that Russell Wilson threw 40 touchdowns, which is, yeah, it's a milestone, but the record is like 13 more, (laughs) 15, more. 15 more like Aaron Rodgers. 48 through more than he's punt, punted or whatever that weird stat was last week but like it's the only time this season that the seals have changed things up and it was to complete detriment because that's the biggest gripe it's, and I think it's, it, like the press conferences last night were weird mm. because like you said they were protecting the team to a certain extent but there was slight between the lines rib digs weren't there from Wilson and Lockett in Lockett's rambly way but it, it's just they haven't changed things up. They clearly go into a game, but we talked when we played the Jets about they, they they can do it, but they they revert to type and then I'm awful for the rest of the game. But I don't know. It's, um, but yeah. I mean, Russell Wilson. There's a lot of people, there's way too many people, calling that he should be traded, which is just. <laughs> I mean, that's not. That's that's just not it, is it? Adam?
1: We, I mean, you'd only even contemplate that, in my opinion, if it freed up $35 million of cap space a year, which I don't even think it does next year. I think there'd be an enormous dead cap hit that we'd yeah. take. So obviously you, you'd recoup a lot of picks, but um, yeah, let's park that you yeah. know, firmly away because that's not going to happen. My, my problem is uh, that it, I can't see any way that they're not just going to bring back the same main guys in, in yeah, you know it's, it's going to be schneider fine it's going to be wilson fine it's going to be carol i'm not particularly fine with that but he signed a new five-year contract so it's going to be that and i'm struck by thinking how much is really going to change um and that, that's what leaves like I, I, i'm not at the end of last year, all the players were like, this feels like the 2012 Seahawks team and next year is our real push. And I didn't believe that because I didn't think there was enough talent. But at least you could see there was a full draft and like 60 million of cap money to play with.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: This team that we've just seen, what with that money and the Jamal Adams pick, like it's almost the resources of a team in a quarter. So it's going to be hard to have that again. And, and that's what leaves me most deflated today.
0: They won't. They like they won't have like I said on offense. They won't have that again. They're going to have Chris Carson won't play another down for the Seahawks. I think Mike guy made a point that the only way Chris Carson will is if it's like a clowny thing.
1: Mm. And he
0: comes back in like June, July, or whatever. Comes late, late in the process because it's, and it, because they have to not pay someone. It's going to be. It's probably going to be Chris Carson, and then you then you are trusting on Bashar Penny, who has what fifteen yards in the last fifteen months and Carlos Hyde maybe could be another three million, but he can only play a game at a time. And you've got DJ Dallas and Travis Homer, like this team is offensively, this team is probably as good as it's gonna get this year. And they scored hmm. two touchdowns against the Rams defense, which is good, but come on. Um, Schottenheimer, Brian Schottenheimer is someone we started off, I mean, like we said we knew what we were getting. We didn't enjoy the start of it, and then we kind of, especially the start of the season, like, we were like, no, this is cool. This is gonna carry on. This is, like, there was chat with him being involved with um, head coaching gigs and head coaching jobs and the rest of it. And then, I mean, he's on the hot seat in the lightest way someone could be. Like, he's he's gonna be back next year. I don't think, I don't think he should be. But like you said, the likelihood of well Pete Carroll went this way he took two sets back with Schottenheimer the likelihood is if he did it again he'd go even further back into
1: his shell with his next hire Hmm. that's the thing I mean Schottenheimer's just done his job and for me the offensive problems are a pay grade above Schottenheimer Mm -hmm. I don't think he's a particularly good offensive coordinator Mm -hmm. I don't think that's a shot at the guy particularly he hasn't been a good offensive coordinator anywhere he's been Mm -hmm. so why would he be a great offensive coordinator now he seems like a decent enough bloke um tries hard but you know we're a team that's trying to win super bowls and um i don't think there's any many other teams in the nfl of our level that would be saying god i'd love to have brian schottenheimer as my offensive coordinator but ultimately i would say he's performed his job description pretty much to the way in which his boss wants it to be done and everything in this conversation that we're going to have today is going to come back to that as my main issue
0: yeah um uh, what, where should we go next i do <laughs>
1: I mean, I want to address something on the Carol thing that I, I've been going through the, the Facebook group quite a lot today. You, know, you can't can't miss some of the stuff that's been said, and um, there's been a lot of like, you know, let's remember where we were in the '80s and the '90s, and let's not you know let, you know don't wish you know be careful what you wish for and whatever. And people were saying that after the Dallas game two years ago, and at that stage I would suggest it was premature because it was the first really awful loss in the playoffs now. This is the third year in a row of that. Yeah. So, I, you know, I've got full respect if, if that's the attitude you want to have. You know, you like you like your nine-win floor. You you know, you like the consistency of getting to the playoffs. You're saying, well, look, we're a 12-4 and team. But Russell Wilson is going to be retired for a long time. And it took the franchise like 36 years to get a guy as good as Russell Wilson. And they lucked into that in a, th- in a third round. It might be another 36 years. And as I said in the last week's pod, if five or six years after Wilson retires, you know, we're back to being a six and 10 team. You're going to look at these years and think, fuck, we really needed to get some, something more done then. And I don't want to waste the years anymore.
0: Yeah, we did. We we did that. We did that for the first six weeks of the season when we're watching Quinton Dunbar hop around the field and um, Shaquille Griffin forget that there's a game going on. But <laughs> like we looked back and went, "Oh man, we used to have Richard Sherman and Cam Chancellor." Hmm. It's the, the quarterback. Like the '80s thing is is fine, but it, the '80s Seahawks didn't have Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson. Like you ask anyone, Russell Wilson is near the top. Of the quarterback lists and tiers that people put together, because like like you said, they haven't had a quarterback like him. Hasselback was unbelievable, took teams to Super Bowls oh. with a running game and a decent defense. But this this guy is legitimately the only like he's the as you said last week. When we were talking a few weeks ago. When we were talking MVPs, the most valuable part of this team, probably all the way through. If you take a look, run through the family tree of this team, it's I and mean, it's just like yeah that the, the the expectations have to change with the person running uh, throwing the ball around and handing the ball off and it it has to, it needs to change again because he's been to two super bowls in 10 years and they were in his first three seasons
1: and since then we've had one more playoff win than, than the jaguars have <laughs> and they've picked in the top 3 four times in that time mm. This is an unfair question to ask you, but try and get yourself into Pete Carroll's head. Uh, dangerous place it's to be. Easy, it's, it's easy. But um, do you think Carroll values Russell Wilson, the player? I, as a man, I know they love each other and they've got yeah. great respect, but do you think Carroll, deep down, thinks that Wilson was a crucial component to t- 2013?
0: Um you kind of change the question halfway through
1: <laughs> yeah 2013 <laughs> and onwards like because because for me 20, 20, there's a bit of 20, carol that reckons matt flynn would have done the same job with that same team around
0: maybe but i don't agree with that
1: i don't agree because I,
0: because the, the Rus- 2020 russell wilson would not have won with tw- 2013 russell wilson was a completely different everything really like hmm. he's Persona was different. His, like, he he was running the ball, like Lamar Jackson. Like he wasn't, he wasn't doing that. But he was getting 25, 30 yards. He was willingly running the ball. It was an option. I think it might have been Jackson again, pointing out this thing that that like mesh point thing is just not isn't respected anymore. Um, I don't know. There's there's a weird nagging thing that I think we kind of saw it because. Four years ago, Pete was talking about teachings with Russ and Earl and maybe Sherm going up a level, like taking their knowledge up to a different Mm -hmm. level. That never really seemed to change anything on field. It's the college coach part of Pete Carroll really is lingering at the minute. How so? Because we don't have any plus 30 year olds apart from Bobby Wagner in this Mm team. so. Is whatever Pete Carroll does, what what Pete Carroll wants to do works with a guy in his first four in year, years in the league, on what what was Russell on six hundred grand nine hundred grand a year maybe mm. those first three years, it doesn't work when the guy's getting thirty five million. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, it it's does. Just, it's a weird <laughs> nagging thing. It's just like Russell Wilson's either side of that thirty now, like it just doesn't seem. I don't know. I, I I'm. I think, I think people point out before R- Russell Wilson is a John Schneider guy. Mm-hmm. He's he's the reason he's here. John Schneider is the reason Russell Wilson's here. It's not Pete Carroll. If Pete Carroll, if Pete Carroll is away, we'd have had Andy Dalton.
1: Into it. Well, we have Jamal Adams because of Pete Carroll. So mm, it was a Carroll thing, wasn't it? Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe. from all you read, it seems like it Carol yeah. was the driving force behind getting
0: yeah but, but exactly that's defensive But like offensively mm-hmm. like i'm pretty certain we have dK Metcalf because of John schneider
1: mm-hmm.
0: didn't we trade up for DK? sixty
1: third pick wasn't
0: it sixty three yeah i'm pretty certain we trade with New England to get d k um but yeah like the offensive guys he just doesn't seem that I, well i think it's kind of answered your question. Pete Carroll is more connected to Bobby Wagner than he is, with
1: Wilson. The player, almost certainly. I think yeah. I think Carroll and Wilson love each other as human yeah, beings. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, as the player, for sure. Yeah. That's the thing. I I, I still think that Carroll reckons he can win a Super Bowl with great defence in a good running game and, which, and a quarterback who just doesn't fuck up. But that's makes, not the way the game is anymore.
0: Which half makes sense with
1: how they've approached the approach backup position. Obviously,
0: backup quarterback is not that input, but well, maybe is that a bit important because it's all <laughs> last night. But yeah, like we've got Gino Smith, we had a seven, we've had one draft pick at the quarterback position since they took Russell Wilson. Mm. So you don't do it that way, no team does it that way. Like, obviously, you might end up with Taysom Hill, but it's yeah, like, there's just there's a weird nagging. I, I don't think Russell Wilson's going anywhere. Mm-hmm. But I think if Schneider goes or Evan left mm-hmm. for any reason it would be interesting to see what happens to his team and that
1: relationship as well. well I think the question is, and I was talking to Rob Staten about this last night, is how happy is Russell Wilson? Russell Wilson wants to be the league MVP. Yes. That's absolutely obvious. He was legacy, loving. Legacy. Yeah. yeah he, he's all about his legacy now. As, yeah. as, a, as a person, as a player, he is clearly looking to, how am I going to be looked at when I'm retired? This yeah. is now three years in a row where I would say that He's not been put in a position where that's even remotely possible by the way in which the team's been structured and put together. How many more years is he going to allow that to happen for before he starts to get pissed off? Because he's not stupid.
0: No, but one thing: what what did Russell Wilson do for two and a half hours between game ending and mm-hmm. press conference? He's that's weird, isn't had it? Not showered. What happened? And obviously, we're never going to know. But maybe that's that conversation was had. But I think, I think, I think they they did address. Helping him out, I think, in the off season, mm-hmm. That's their what second pick, third pick, third pick is an offensive guard mm. who was all about running the ball. Like, That's exactly what he did at LSU. But yeah, the structure of it is
1: just not—it's not for us. Which is—I just... mean, do, do you think there's any chance that Wilson spent those two and a half hours watching and shouting at a TV as Antonio Brown was tearing up for the football team? Now we didn't want Antonio Brown. I wouldn't want the guy anywhere. Anywhere near the building, but Wilson went on record and said that he did want him, and I just wonder how you know if he if if that's the sort of thing that's going to start taking him off as the years go on. He's thirty two now, um, you know, and and as we say, he, his motive now for his career is legacy. Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, he he was talking six years ago with Michael Evan about owning the team, doing this, doing that, and like he's. He's obviously made ownership shows, but he's he's not with any more Super Bowls, winning Super Bowls and MVPs, and obviously games. Because I say you do both those things is of paramount importance. Mm. So Russell Wilson and it's yeah I don't know I just I don't know like, I, I I think we've talked about before with Pete. I think we talked with Joe Fowler about Pete Carroll, the stuff he does that no one sees. That's going to be. That's a way bigger part of the conversation than the team going forward, if that makes sense. Mm. Because like, the culture is massive. It's mm-hmm. a massive part of how this team, Carlos like Dunlap was talking earlier today about like how it's different in Seattle, how it's like he's gone from Cincinnati, which is kind of like foggy, I guess, is one way to put it. And he's come to Seattle and it's just like, like a breath of fresh air it's reinvigorated him and he wants to stay around and like I texted you earlier about the difference from him talking to people like Shaquille Griffin and Chris Carson who haven't been anywhere else in the league hmm. and just leaning on them going look it's not any different it's not any better than here that would change massively if Pete Carroll left and yeah I and mean, just if he they he didn't want to said to you earlier
1: yeah. And even stuff like, you know, giving the nurses and the medical team the chance to raise the 12th man flag. Like that was a beautiful video. I had a tear in my eye watching that. It was so lovely. And Joe Fan, I would say is one of Pete Carroll football wise, his biggest critics. And I, I've got a tremendous amount of respect for the way in which Joe Fan has, has done his work this season. But what you won't hear a peep about rightly so is any criticism about the way in which Pete Carroll has that team and and the, the roster and and the club as a culture together because that's spot on and you would lose that it without him Um mm. it just depends on where your sliding scale is on how important that is versus what we're seeing on the pitch and 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 how much the two uh, it's a symbiotic relationship
0: yeah but that's not enough to keep like that's not enough to keep him around no it, it almost is because it is like. It, like, again, the seals have never had it this good in that terms, because like a year before, we're having Jim Mora throw kickers into the books, and now we've like we've got to protect the team and all that stuff. So, um, yeah, like I, I, th- I think I, I, I would be all right with Shotenimer leaving. Pete Carroll would be a much tougher Sal, I think.
1: Is that because he's kind of all we? no slash remember and it would just be a readjustment Uh, period
0: no i don't think so i think i think i I just think it's the same reason that you i think someone put on the group earlier talking about jamal and the trade picks given up like he's he's a sure thing obviously it's gonna be an expensive Mm -hmm. sure thing but he's a sure thing and we just don't have a couple of maybes if we pete carroll is a relative sure thing (laughs) And then we're just going to go into the maybe category because like who if Pete Carroll stepped up to the V Mac podium tonight tomorrow if he talked I don't know if he's talking again
1: this week I said yeah I've thought presumably about, um, tomorrow they clean the lockers out
0: well, I think it's today because they've had all the players up today so I don't know uh, oh,
1: of course
0: uh, but yeah, so whenever he talks anyway he steps up and retires who are they going to get like I can't I. I I can't remember what it was like when Holmgren retired. Like Pete Carroll's mm-hmm. name came out of the blue. Obviously, he fired Jim Mora, Pete Carroll, and 10 days later, Schneider came in. But who are they going to get? There's no one really in the college game. Dan Mullen is in, uh, interviewing for the um, Jets job. But he's he's only getting that because of Carl Trask, and Carl Trask isn't that good.
1: Well, college wise, you might see someone like Lincoln Riley. But.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, I, I'm talking hypothetically here. Yeah, obviously, yeah, I'm not saying yeah, that.
0: Probably, because he's saying quite a lot young. But if you hire another college coach, are you just not going to be going through the same cyclical stuff every four or five years because they've only got experience coaching 20, 22 year olds not being paid? And then they've got to deal with 32 year olds getting 35 million.
1: Yeah, quite possibly. I mean, look, we're, we're probably getting slightly. Yeah. Uh, Bit ahead and sidetracked and, and on yeah. the hypotheticals, but I'm just trying to work out kind of what other the other big takeaways are. Um, you know, defensively they've sorted themselves out, and yeah, you know, it does seem like in general most of the guys should be back next year.
0: I mean, they're gonna be right. I mean, that guy Puna should be because he's an exclusive rights or restricted. He may be paid. I don't know if they can pay him regardless on that deal. Jamal's gonna be back, Bobby's gonna be back, Jordan Brook is gonna have another year and do his legs. You, KJ Wright, we'll see. Um, You're you relying on people like Cody Barton and BBK.
1: Darryl Taylor.
0: Daryl Taylor to emerge. LJ Collier looks serviceable. Alton Robinson, uh, Hawk Blogger was tweeting out last week, the comparisons with him and Chase Young, which Is a very Seahawk fan thing to do because (laughs) come on, Um, but yeah, like the defense is fine. The biggest thing the defense got to do is what they do with Shaquille Griffin, Mm. because the Seahawks have no evidence of bringing in a guy who's played elsewhere in the league at cornerback has been a success. The only outside guy who was a success was Brandon Browner, and that was for two years, two and a half years, three years, if you include his year in New England. Mm. And he come from Canada and he, he was, he was, he was some, someone that Pete could mold into it. He didn't have bad habits in inverted commas. So letting Shaquille Griffin go would be a risk. Offensively, mm. it's a mess.
1: <laughs> Especially if Dwayne Brown retires.
0: Oh, I mean, if Dwayne Brown retires, then yeah. I mean, like, I think we talked to our group chat last night with Will, who um, said that he thinks was it, he thinks all the, the the starting five airline are going to be back next year or, or in the building already. Hmm. It doesn't fill me with the utmost of confidence. Postage was awful last night. Awful. I, Patty is. I mean, he's had neck injuries for the last two years. He's surely just going to walk away at some point. Brandon Shaw is eight hundred thousand pound right tackle, and Damian Lewis could be good. And mm. Dwayne Brown is thirty six, thirty seven, and could retire. I mean, like you, yeah. I mean, look at the difference Whitworth made to the Rams last night. Mm. But um, but yeah, it's going to be interesting off season. The defense, I think, is fine. Norton's going to stay because Pete Carroll loves him. I think Norton, Anyway, only way Norton will leave is if Pete Carroll leaves. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, yeah, anything else? don't know really. I um, feel like there's so much I'm to say. I'm it's been
0: it, as cathartic as I thought it would be.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I had to say like, it's been a weird few years. I don't feel like I've been on board, particularly for the last few years. In terms of how how they want to play, and I feel like I've been more analytical than fanatical, which isn't like me and how I normally am. Like I don't I, I don't celebrate as much during the games for the last few years as I have done in the past. I don't know why that is, um, but last night I was really upset. And I was pissed. Yeah, and like you, I was up till about four in the morning just sat there on my phone, just kind of trying to speak to anyone that I could speak to just to talk about it um, and just read and listen to whatever I could about it. And in a way, I'm quite pleased that like I've still got that fire that burns and I passionately want these guys to win. But yeah, I I really felt flat about this. Um, I think partly because... I may have an overinflated view of the amount of which they've spent going forward on this team, and how much I fear that there's so much work to do in the off season. I might be completely wrong about, but everything that they did over the off season and then during the season made it feel like they were throwing the kitchen sink at this year, and for it to end in if if you lose in the Super Bowl, you can say, "Well, look." Yeah, you know, we're on the right. Even if you lost to the Packers in Lambeau in their championship game, steps have been made. But it kind of it's hard to look at it anyway as one step back at the minute. And as we were saying in our Facebook group earlier today, our WhatsApp group, if we face the South teams instead of the East teams, the record may not have even hit double digits.
0: No. Well I say that start of the season, if this team wins ten games with some should with MVP, they won twelve and he's not gonna get a vote. Which yeah. is just it's wild um yeah i don't know like, i've 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 been criticized by people not criticized jousted by people i've watched games with this season for not like getting involved as they were when they're watching the games because i just kind of sat there and just went yeah like, the only game i was involved in this year was when we beat the rams two weeks ago hmm. because as the pod episode title said that week it was like fucking finally they've beat this team and then th- that happens last night um but yeah i think i might do like i said on man to man podcast which if no one listens to they definitely should go, should go and listen to that episode especially but he said that, like the biggest question marks this team are the teams the people who wear the headsets during the game on the offensive side so bruce um, Canales, Austin Davis, and obviously Schattenheimer because they're the people who either aren't here anymore, which is whatever, we'll, a bridge will cross when we get to it, or they need to just front up and go, look, this guy can do it this way. We need to start and the that, the only glimmer of hope, not hope, maybe hope's so strong, that it could actually happen is that Chris Carson won't be here next year. Hmm they haven't got that reliable running back to lean on. Richard Penny, DJ Dallas, Carl Hyde, uh, Travis Homer, Alex Collins probably for two weeks. Like the fact that that running back, that legit RB1, is not going to be here may force the hand, but that's just very
1: clutch, straws a bit, Adam. Is it acceptable that Nate Carroll, Austin Davis who have absolutely no coaching pedigree, are so close to being so important in this Seahawks' offence.
0: I think Austin Davis has a lot more um, breathing room than nepotism. Yeah, Austin that's da- fair. Austin, Austin Davis was an NFL quarterback. Like Jose Mourinho was not a good football player.
1: No, that's true. I'm just lashing now, to be honest. <laughs> Come on, I'm, I'm just flailing. <laughs>
0: Um, but yeah, no, it's like, like I, I told my mate as a Rams fan. I was like, "Do you know who that guy is in the us last night?" He was like, "Austin oh, Davis," and he just let out a cackle because, like, how is a team with just so much investment ending up with? I don't know. Maybe I'm ending up the same uh, avenue as you. Maybe Britain, <laughs> that? I was going down the same road there. Um, do you think anything will change on the offensive side of the ball? Coaching-wise, I think I think Mike Solari will be fired.
1: It wouldn't surprise me if they made a gesture firing. Yeah. And yeah, it probably will be Solari. I think that would be a little bit harsh because he, if you look at where this offensive line was a couple of years ago, I mean, it was such a mess. And I do think, I do have to say that the Rams are, one of the rare defences that are in the NFL that are almost a shutdown defense. And that doesn't really exist anymore. And so to base too much of what the offensive line did last, you know, this season on last night would be unfair. I thought overall the offensive line had, you know, a B plus season, uh, B to yeah. B plus. Yeah. I don't think they were the reason why Wilson, you know, most of the sacks he took, you can watch the tape back and, you know, load of his sacks were, were on him. So I had no problem with Solari, but I, I think he'll be a gesture firing because they probably will see that as the easiest person. And I think Pete Carroll has too much emotionally invested in Brian Schottenheimer to to pull the plug on him.
0: But why though? I don't know. Like, if if it was me, I'd, I would can Schottenheimer and just like we're seen with Houston, that Deshaun Watson is trying to push his way towards the exit door. With Piers, maybe Miami because he wasn't involved in the decision process of a GM, which is Mm. surely as important to a quarterback as the guy calling the plays, which is why Sean Watson wanted to be involved in this, because the GM is now going to pick the coach, which is going to help Deshaun, which is exactly the same as what the OC is going to do for Russell Wilson.
1: Eight weeks in the NFL is more than long enough to base a trend and see patterns on it. and. I would say that the last eight weeks wouldn't have been a hell of a lot worse if you or I were calling the plays, or <laughs> if we had the the uh, those ill-fated moments in inverted commas where Wilson's headset magically goes off and he has to call the plays himself, and we end up scoring a touchdown every single time. Uh, I mean, I don't know how much, how often you spend talking about the Seahawks outside of Seahawks fans and you know talk to other people, but a mate of mine called me yesterday morning before the game, and he said if the Seahawks spiked the ball on first, second, and third down, and then just let Wilson do whatever he wanted to on fourth down, would they be worse on offense? And obviously it's a very hyperbolic question. But imagine that even being asked of any other nominal top five quarterback in the NFL and and the way in which their teams are built around them. Like Rogers doesn't even like Lafleur, but has grown to begrudgingly respect the way in which he's got the best out of him. This team does nothing to get the best out of their best asset.
0: No. Also, does Aaron Rodgers like anyone?
1: No. Himself.
0: Um. Yeah. A lot. Um. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'd, I'd agree, but I, I. It's just this. This is the worst loss uh, um, for this Wilson Carroll mm. partnership. Like Dallas was bad, but Dallas was bad because they took the ball out of Russell Wilson's hands, out of stubbornness. Last night they put the ball in his hands and nothing was, not that nothing was there, because people are pointing out in all 22 that stuff was there, but like the biggest play, the best play they made was an unbelievable throw from Wilson on a completely bust play. Hmm. The only reason he gets that ball to DK Metcalf is because of how I think Leonard Floyd just falls over. Hmm. Because he falls over, like, to the side of Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson can step up and do what he does. But, like, you shouldn't be relying on broken players in the playoffs after 16 games against a team
1: you beat two weeks ago. Yeah, I mean, the Dallas and the Green Bay game over the last couple of years, you were begging for five more minutes on the clock because you would have won. Last night, I was relieved the game was over.
0: Yeah, although there was a slight sense when they got the fourth down, stop, you're like, oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs>
1: like, I'd, you know I'd have been that? absolutely raging if they won that game. <laughs> I'm not even sure I could have celebrated I'd have been so angry. Like, you know when you, like, angry celebrate? I'd have been smashing windows, I think. <laughs>
0: yeah, it, yeah it, was, it just wasn't very good, Adam. Um, <laughs> Apart from that. But, yeah, it was fine. Uh, yeah. I think, I, like I said, I don't think it was as cathartic as I thought it was going to be. Um,
1: anything else you want to talk about from last night? No, I've enjoyed it. This has been uh, this has been good. We're, we're on a new platform. I think we've got we've got a couple of Patreons watching.
0: Yeah,
1: man. Well. they got any questions they want to buzz in? So, Pete Carroll's staying. Okay, so if Pete Carroll's contract was up now... Yeah. Would you want to extend him?
0: With... In a way that he wouldn't sign, if that makes sense. Because there is who, who are we going to
1: hire? Forget that. Coaches have come from all over. Like No one really knew who Bill Birchick was when he joined the Patriots. Oh, yeah. They did, but as in he was a Browns decent head coach. You know, yeah. It might be that you know Dan Quinn could come back and has learned enough and could be a genius head coach. I'm not saying he would, but forget who they would hire. It is Pete Carroll, yes or no? Uh, no. Kind of says it all for me.
0: I mean, yes, uh, no, I don't think I would because um, I think we can both say that, like, we follow sports, we follow sports teams and the sports teams we follow,
1: mm-hmm. the
0: Seahawks one is supposed to be like...
1: It's supposed to be the fun.
0: Yeah, it's supposed to be the release.
1: Mm. It's
0: supposed to be like, yeah, we invested in it, of course we are, but the investment is different. Does that make sense? Because, like, KoV mm-hmm. Cov Lose, my weekend is ruined, Yeah. and yesterday, 17 hours, Cov lost and the Seahawks lost. <laughs> so the only thing I've got now is Gustavo Hamer for the next three months until he leaves with seven, eight million in the summer. And then I've got, what have I got then? But yeah. You've got your podcast.
1: Uh, you enjoy that?
0: Maybe, I guess. Uh, yeah. Uh, Dave asked, Dave Sayers, the hero of the uh, Ped P- P- Pod. He is the listener. Like we've always referenced him all season. The one. Is the one listener. Uh, franchise tag for the year. Does it come into play? Shaquille Griffin. I think that's how they keep Shaquille Griffin. Which is Yeah.
1: I mean, awesome. you're not going to give. You're not gonna get go, wow, it's a lot of
0: money. It is a that's, lot of money.
1: <laughs> like that's what, that's really what he's worth over two years to be honest.
0: It's, I think it's, is it 12 and a half million for DBs? It must be a re- there or thereabouts. Yeah, it's, well, I th- if, if Schneider hates it, but mm-hmm. he doesn't like using it. I think the only time he used it was on, did he use it on Hauska? Like 2013, maybe? At the same time they used it he doesn't use but use it for kick it's like two and a half million they use it on mm. db because i don't know yeah i think if they use it it'll be Shaquille griffin do you
1: think they i mean it? for for me i'd be tempted to transition tag chris carson i think that's 8.7 million and which is a lot of money and it's kind of what you'd want him to be signing for maybe a year and a half on maybe you know two for ten or whatever no one else is going to give him more than that and i think that's how it works isn't it transition tag is if someone bids more, he can go. I think think that's yeah, how it works.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think so. I'm not too sure. But also they won't do that and they'll they'll they won't do that. Chris Carson will sign somewhere else and they'll say, if that question's ever asked of them, why didn't you do XY to keep Carson? They'll say because we respected what he did for us and we wanted to see him rewarded.
1: You know exactly I'll tell you exactly what they'll say in addition to that. They'll say, We told Chris to come back to us with whatever offer he was given and we'd see what we could do. And they'll say, like, nope.
0: I'm, I'm, I, I kind of hope I'm wrong, but also I said earlier with, I think if Chris Carson's not here, it will force the hand a little bit of whoever's calling the plays next year. I don't, I think that's the thing I'm surest about of this Seahawks off season is that Chris Carson won't be here next year, which is, it, it's understandable for a lot of reasons. Obviously the RB don't matter, crowd will. Imagine if they announce a contract extension tomorrow <laughs> for Chris Carson. <laughs> Imagine. Imagine. Um,
1: It'd be worth also, it just for the reaction.
0: It would be, but also he hasn't finished a sixteen-game season. He didn't finish a full. He didn't have a full college season at Oklahoma State. Like that's gonna availability and all that is kind of a massive thing for him. And obviously <laughs> the replacement of Rashad Penny, who's played fifteen snaps in two years, which is also another issue. I mean, if if like after all that, and if they pay Chris Carson, what three years twenty enough. I mean, Exactly. Imagine if they did that after last night, after this conversation, after all the words and syllables have been used on what happened and what the CFC to do, and they went and paid the court of winning back nine and a half million a year, with Pete Carroll and Brian Schottenheimer still calling the plays. That'd nothing be... will change. But if they let Carson go, it gives them six months of them not playing a game to go. Ah, maybe this could be different next year. I
1: mean, the worry for me is they just end up running badly in that scenario. Yeah, very good point. So do you think they're going to get used to franchise? I think we need to see kind of what the, the cap numbers look like or whatever. Um, I'm not a big Shaq Griffin fan, particularly. I, I think he's, he's fine. Um, and I'm probably being seduced by the fact they managed to find DJ Reed and their pro scouting is so good. So just find another DJ Reed, which is not going to be that easy, but for me, if if, if if Shaq Griffin's number is going to begin with a one per year and it's eight figures, then I'm out.
0: It will be because the cornerback market this year is not good or deep. Patrick Peterson is the top name on that list and he's 33. Hmm. So I think, yeah, I think he'll be tagged. Um, anyone forgetting the bin, Adam, this week?
1: The whole fucking lot of the bastards. <laughs> I,
0: I knew that was going to happen when it asked. Uh, yeah, if you want to get involved with the podcast, you can on your user, Meets and Methods. Uh, we, this is our first Patreon live uh, pod. If you want to get involved with that, you can on patreon.com forward slash the pedestrian podcast. We've got another pod coming later in the week with a very cool guest, but yeah. Thank you for listening. Dave, thank you for joining in and anyone else who joined in and watched this uh, go down live. Until next time, this has been The Pedestrian Podcast.
1: Do something, Hawks.